So my friends, today, um, as we're continuing through our Lord's parables, we come to the parable of the weeds and the wheat, or the weeds in the field, as the disciples refer to it uh, when they ask our Lord to explain it after. And our Lord's parables are um, probably the teaching form most readily um, associated with him. If someone asks, like, how did Jesus teach? Well, he taught in parables, right? He taught with authority when he was giving direct teachings. He did his miracles, but also he taught in parables. And these parables are uh, meant for us as well, because the God, the man, the man who spoke these parables is God, right? So he sees us. He knows that we would listen to them. And that's why these little stories told in the back hills of Galilee 2,000 years ago come down to us today. And today, in a particular way, we reflect upon this parable of the weeds in the field or the weeds in the wheat. And we hear that God is the one or the, he who sees the good, who, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. That our Lord is sowing good seed. That he's preaching his message in his church. He's raising up faithful souls who will love him. This is the good seed. The Son of Man produces this goodness um, through his preaching, through the sowing of the seed. And his church does the same thing. The church continues to spread the good seed of the gospel, the good news. And that this is what, this is God's action. But, and here's a detail you may have missed, after the sowing of the seed, when everyone was asleep, when did the problems arise? When they all fell asleep. And that's when the enemy was able to come and sow the wheat, uh, the weeds. Now these weeds, uh, called darnel in another translation, it would actually be poisonous to eat. So this is a big problem, right? That this is a, a poisonous um, thing that looks just like the wheat up until the harvest time. And so they're almost indistinguishable until the very end. And if you had got the wrong one, um, it was poisonous. But it's when those who should have been tending the field fell asleep. When you sow something to your field in those days, you stay out there to guard it, to be sure that exactly this type of thing doesn't happen. And they fell asleep. And that's when the weeds uh, were sown by the evil one. Now, this is very much uh, the case in the church today. It's actually been the case in the church throughout the history of her existence, which is our Lord has sowed the gospel message. And then those who were supposed to be caring to be sure that it's kept preserved fell asleep. And that is, um, and then error enters in. There's no, you know, denying that there is tremendous error um, preached in many pulpits in the church throughout the world today. There's tremendous error believed by many of God's people. Uh, there's tremendous error culturally um, all around and that this is being spread. And the re who is to blame for this? First of all, before we get upset about it, who is to blame for this? Those who should have been guarding the truth. Those who should have been guarding the good fruit and fell asleep. That throughout the history of the church, the shepherds of God's people have fallen asleep and allowed the wolves of error um, to get at the flock is um, something that the shepherds will have to answer for on the day of their judgment. And so when we first, when we see error in God's people and even being preached 
um, by a number of um, priests and bishops throughout the world, um, that this is, um, there's someone to blame prior to that, who should have been caring for them, should have been sure that they were taught the right things. Any of us who hold the true faith, like, we didn't get that all by ourselves. Someone could have very easily been feeding us error from very early on, and we could be just as backwards as the worst, um, as the worst people out there. And so we um, need to pray in reparation for the fact that shepherds have a, fallen asleep on the job and allowed the error to enter in. It's so important um, that we, we not necessarily blame the person. Um, it may be their fault. It absolutely may be their fault. But it may be that they've never heard the truth or that they were taught something wrong by somebody um, who was sowing um, rotten fruit. And so that is, we need to look the step before. And so therefore, we have to be super careful before we kick anyone out of our church, before we go around judging people, before we go around saying, you don't belong, and you don't belong, and you don't belong. We have to be so careful that it's not, um, he's, when he explains the parable, he explains it to the first bishops, who, by the way, fell asleep in the garden the night before he died, right? The reality of shepherds sleeping becomes literal for the apostles. Um, but we have to be so careful that we don't just go around um, rooting people up, right, and saying, get out of our church. It doesn't work that way. That's not how our faith works. Now, error should never be allowed to continue to spread, right? It's not like, oh, there's already weeds in there, so let's just take a nap now. We don't need to worry about anything. Like, no, we have to stop the spread of error. We have to try to correct those who are wrong. We need to convince them of the wrong opinions um, that they hold. We need to teach them the truth. We need to try to bring them back along. But I think we have to be so careful, and sometimes there's a real jump to just say, if you don't look like me, if you don't dress like me, if you don't act like me, if you don't pray like me, if you don't understand everything I understand about the faith, well, then you're not welcome uh, in my church. And that is uh, a totally wrong-headed opinion. That itself is an error that needs to be corrected because um, that's not the way that these things work. We need to correct error, but we do it with charity. We're interested in the salvation of the person. We're interested in correcting the wrong, actually bringing someone from error to truth. If you just shut someone down, then oftentimes they're not gonna continue to listen to you. Sometimes you do have to set hard lines. Sometimes you say, you know, there's behavioral, if you, do, if you keep doing this, you can't, you know, okay. We have to set those, but we have to do it with a bit of fear and trembling. That is my action going to cause somebody to be cut off from the source of truth and life. If I was just a little bit more patient instead of scolding someone, um, would they have had a chance at deeper conversion? And so we all need to be very cautious about how we address error in the church uh, and how we address error uh, in our parish, in our families, and in our world. Oftentimes there's nothing good that comes from trying to address error in short little tweets, Facebook comments, any other type of stuff. Um, charity, love, actually trying to bring someone to the truth, defending the truth, not allowing more error to spread, um, but still, and all with a type of mercy. Our Lord is 
um, when he sees the crowds, he is moved with pity because they're like sheep without a shepherd. We, how do we act correctly in the face of those who are erring? Well, if we're moved with pity, that I can't believe, like somebody fed you a bunch of lies at some point. A number of times, very unfortunately, it was propagated through our Catholic schools and a number of other things. And somebody fed you some pretty weak or rotten fruit. Um, but now with pity, rather than just trying to say you're wrong, you don't belong here in our community, um, no, let's try to work toward a greater resolution. Let's not allow error to continue, but let's try to go through and untangle um, what may have gotten crossed at some point. Because this is where it comes down to each one of us, right? With the parable of the weeds and the wheat, yeah, at the end of the day, whatever's a weed, God's going to be the judge. And those things which are weeds, they get, you know, bundled up and thrown into the fire. Those things that are wheat, um, the good, the just, the righteous, shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. But in our own hearts and in our own lives, if we have wheat-like, uh, if we have weed-like elements in our own lives, it's never too late to change and to become good fruit. You know, and that's the thing. This is where each and every one of us has that opportunity. Even the worst heretic or sinner has the opportunity to change. You know, what if when St. Augustine walked into the church in Milan, St. Ambrose said, get out of here. You don't belong. We would have lost one of the great doctors of the church. Um, negatively, I'm not sure if you know this, um, but uh, three of the um, worst figures in the 20th century, um, Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini, were all expelled from Catholic schools, right? Uh, what would have been different? How could our world have actually been different if um, rather than expulsion, uh, there was an attempt at correction? And so we need to be very, we can change and others can change. And we need to walk that process of conversion, of evangelization. Um, so we ask uh, our Lord to help us to live this out, to correct any erring tendencies in our own hearts, to correct error in our church so that it doesn't continue to spread, but to give us the patience, the pity, and the mercy to be able to work with sinners to be able to work with the erring, to bring them gently back into the fullness of truth so that they and we can be the righteous who shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father.